This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for spending 30 minutes of your precious time with us as we break down for you the important issues confronting America. Today, we will discuss the politics of the United States House of Representatives with Kevin Fogarty, the former longtime chief of staff and legislative director for recently retired Republican Congressman Peter King of Long Island. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well, Jerry. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Your boss was, uh, I ended my career at the Post and uh, had a chance to cover your boss. And he was one of my favorites um, of all time because he was kind of like John McCain in the Senate. He was not afraid to criticize his own party. And my favorite story was uh, Boehner and the House Republicans were tying up like $60 million in Hurricane Sandy. It was back like 2013. Right. And uh he he went on and he went went on what gave a quote he said that he said any new yorker or new jersey person that contributes to the republican party is crazy and yep. Boehner hold him into a meeting big meeting and he comes out and he's got this slide grain he's got the 60 million you know so i say to him well how'd the meeting go and he said well the, the speaker wasn't uh real happy and you basically the speaker said two words to them and it to to him and it wasn't happy birthday so right. <laughs> and right. he, but he got the money so let's get to it you Excellent. have been 21 years uh in the house working as a legislative director and uh chief of staff and press person and all those right. things. And what have you seen in the evolution and in that time and, and what the House was and what now what it is? From an obvious standpoint, the makeup of the Congress is is much different and more diverse, thankfully, uh, than when I first started. And that was in the 105th Congress, which would have covered about 1997 to 1998. And, you know, and back then, approximately, I'd say under 60 women were serving in the House. Mm-hmm. And today, in the 117th, it's double that, which is wow. a good thing. Yeah, um, and and also too, the house is much more racially and ethnically diverse. Um, I think it's a little bit over a quarter, about 26, 27 percent of the house uh, now identifies themselves as part of a, a minority, which again, it, you know, reflects more of where America is and the makeup, um, and that's a good thing. Um, I think there's been an evolution in how the house operates and politics in general. Um, not necessarily always in a, in a positive way, but I think the politics has changed and that has led to a change in the composition of the house and the types of, uh, members you now have coming into the house and their style of politics and how we get things done. Um, so things have changed significantly. And there seems to be more factions, factions in there. You've got the liberal wing of the Democrats and the ultra conservative wing of the Republicans. And do those voting blocks now seem to have more power? Yeah, yeah they, they definitely have more power. And, you know, you, you think back to the days of um, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Sure. You know, they would hammer out deals. And as the sort of the heads of each party, you know, whatever they said and agreed to, the the rest of the parties would agree to. And that was, it was a done deal. Uh, now you are herding cats. Uh, I think that was the, the, the title of one of Senator Trent Lott's books uh, when he's talking about being mm-hmm. majority leader. Mm-hmm. But, but now, yes, with all these factions, you have to make sure that um, you have the votes. And the parties themselves don't have as much power as they used to have. And that's 
waned off a bit. And you also now have with social media and, and some of the other components, individual members have a lot more sway to make a little bit more noise um, and create some problems for leadership and to make sure that they have everybody on board for these votes now. Now, you were talking about getting things done. And most recently, I guess even this week, they were talking about getting a commission to look into this capital rampage. And they're even having trouble doing that. And that's getting delayed. And th- is that a symbol of you know the problems that they have in, in hurting those cats, as you talked about? I, I think so. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, I go back to you know, you know what? Even when I call it the first impeachment, even though it wasn't, but back when Bill Clinton was impeached in the House, and then you had obviously the 2000 election with the ballot contentions, all that. The House was still um, a, a very collegial place to work. Uh, you still were able to get things done. I noticed a change when you start looking back on this. I know people sometimes point out the Tea Party and coming in with primaries, but I go back to I call it that MoveOn.org crowd. Uh, really after that 2002 election, mm-hmm. you saw a change in that because, you know, if you think about this, Joe Lieberman, the great senator from Connecticut, right? you know, in 2000, he was very close to becoming vice president of the United States. Mm-hmm. He was on the Gagor ticket. Mm-hmm. And within three years, he's running for reelection as an independent. Right. And there seems to be now what you have a lot of, and, that, and that's been going on now for the last two decades, a little bit more of these purity tests and the primaries. Uh-huh. And what I'm seeing more and more now are people really only worrying about the primary challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of reaching across the aisle, uh, being bipartisan, that's seen as a weakness now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. not a strength. Right. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of times now people are afraid to reach across the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're afraid of a primary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's leading to, unfortunately, a lot of things not getting done. And everybody's always questioning each other's motives. Right. And and there's that law of the jungle, uh, you know, pr- perspective of it in the sense that everybody is, you know, they're counting votes. They're seeing the polls. They're seeing who, you know, a lot of the Trump backers, they know that if they go against them, that, you know, he's got the voters right. in their district and all that, that kind of stuff. So we're talking about Nancy Pelosi. She uh, became, I think probably the biggest villain um, mm-hmm. on the Republican side during the race. Everybody talked about her. Um, how have you felt she's done as a speaker um, in, in her time there? Well, I think, you know, the, I have to say this about, even if you disagree with her politics, I, I don't think you can in, in any way not respect the way that she has held her party together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, she comes from a political background with her father, obviously being the mayor of Baltimore. Right. She understands politics. She understands the vote counting. She knows where her weaknesses are. And I have to say, even though we just talked about all these fractions and uh-huh. that being a problem, she still gets the job done. Right. Um, and so I think you 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 know you have to respect her. Otherwise, it's at your peril that uh, if you go in there thinking there's you know, you can overtake her. Um, yeah. she's, she's a she's a legitimate politician. Yeah, well, it's so funny because she was interviewed on Leslie on 60 Minutes by Leslie Stahl recently. And mm-hmm. one of the questions Stahl posed was, you know, how come you don't have younger leadership? You know, you got Clyburn, you got Hoyer, you got all these old people. And I'm looking at Leslie Stahl is 80 years old. She's been doing right. this for 40 years. Like, right. well, you, you send over a younger reporter and we'll get some younger leadership. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's also these, and you were saying with social media, there's ability to create this almost brand. And, uh, 
of course, the other villain on the Republican side was uh, uh, um, in, in from New York, uh, or, or Ocasio Cortez, and who everybody knows as AOC. And you could go, mm -hmm. you could go into the, the Trump AOC, AOC. What have you thought about her and, and her quick um, rise? I think not, not, not powerful rise in the house, but just the, the brand, right? Yeah, no, it's 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 really is impressive, and it's one thing even in the House, um, you know, we, watching votes or anything like that. The entourage, not from her, but from the media, following her wherever she went, um, it was astonishing. She she really had a mic, a, a megaphone, really to do this stuff. But she's excellent at social media. I think that reflects some of the younger members who understand the medium. Right. And understand how to utilize it. And, you know, that was a situation where she got the attention because she was David taking on Goliath and Joe Crowley. Sure. Um, I don't think too many people expected that to happen. And Not there she all. was. Yeah. You know, he, I, I mean, he didn't even show up for one of the debates because he didn't take it. <laughs> he didn't take it seriously. But again, <laughs> you know, again, this goes to sort of like with with Speaker Pelosi. I mean, again, you can disagree with the politics, but you also have to respect the game. And she's done a phenomenal job of that. Um, I think in, in some ways, too, she avoids getting too personal. Um, I mm. think she's very quick. Um and she just, you know, she's very savvy with it. And I think the Republicans made a mistake in Elson helping to build up her profile. Uh, you know, in some ways, I've always felt like Fox News or even Newsmax. They always seemed obsessed with her. Right. And I think that helped elevate her. Um, so and in some ways, I understand, you know, Speaker Pelosi and AOC have become at, at different times sort of what would you call the straw man or the, or the boogie person that yeah. they, they used to scare. But. Um, in a lot of ways, Republicans have built her up into something much more, like you said, she's not necessarily legislatively powerful, but she definitely has a presence and she has a large following and people across the country listen to her. Well, it was, it was interesting. And you'll remember this when she came into office, she just, you know, started thinking she was the speaker and she took on the speaker and she, and I think Pelosi pulled her in office and said, you know, Hey, sit down and listen for a year and then, right. then figure it out, you know, but yeah. she, her future is, is really wide open. And, um, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the social media thing, cause she definitely knows how to use that. And she does all over that, um, and on the demo, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just going to say too, you know, and I think Chuck Schumer even realizes how savvy and how effective she is because certainly I know there have been rumors about whether or not she might challenge him oh. in a primary for, you know, he's up for reelection. But again, he's the majority leader. Uh, it's a great thing for New York, but he he certainly wouldn't underestimate, um, you know, her potential. And he's, and I think she's had an impact with the progressive movements is also too having an impact on how Chuck Schumer conducts his business. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, when you're maneuvering, you have to keep your eye on that person. She's the, That's she's right. the, she's the point guard. You better keep your eye on because she'll throw that shot up and kill you. The other one on the Republican side that's getting so much attention is Marjorie Green, and um, you know she's been very outspoken, and, and some people think you know kind of a wild, uh, you know, kind of a off the hook person. But um, I was kind of surprised they took her committee assignments away, and this gets a little bit to what you were talking about AOC. You know, I I, I kind of I was surprised they did that. I mean, I, I didn't know that that was a fair thing to do, and you know that process a little better than I do. What, what did you think about them taking their committee assignments away? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, 
you know, my personal opinion, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with that. I mean, in the past, you know, Steve King of Iowa was stripped right. of his uh, committee assignments in the past. I think there's something, you know, some people have alluded to whether or not um, the House Ethics Committee should have been the final arbiter to decide whether or not she should have had committee assignments, that there had been maybe more of a due process. Right. Um, I think that there were a certain number of members who felt, even when she spoke on the floor, she wouldn't really apologize too much. She indicated things that she may have done wrong, but didn't really necessarily disavow herself. Never really, um, you know, again, it's such a strange and unique position that she has on some of the things she's done where it's she's implied violence to mm-hmm. AOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think people would all agree there has to be some level of decency and respect. Um right. Right, because you are you can yeah I understand you're representing constituents and even mm-hmm. if your constituents may not be the biggest AOC fans, right? You, you have to, you know, you have to rise up and and, and represent the, the best of what this country is. So, the fact that she didn't really disavow, I was disappointed in that, and then also too, I think if you notice too, she utilized social media um, to her advantage because certainly when she was stripped, she indicated she would never back down. It didn't seem as, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, Sorry for for what she was saying in the past. Um, right. So I, I, I do think that's a reality. That's things you have to realize that you know if you want to play ball, that, that there are certain rules and there are certain levels of decency that I think that should be um, you know practiced. And, and it's kind of interesting you mentioned that you know the Republicans kind of helped AOC rise in her brand, and I think the Democrats have done a little bit of that here. For I, sure. I remember seeing a great billboard one time. It was about for a dentist, and he said, "Ignore your teeth; they'll go away." And right. I think that's the same kind of principle here. If you ignore Marjorie Green, if you can. Um, or even Trump. I mean, the thing that hurt Trump the most is to ignore the guy. He, his ego can't take it. So um, stripping her of her committee assignments seemed to, to kind of rally her people. And I know she tied up the, the, the uh, COVID legislation. She used the You're procedures right. that she get, did to do that. And so in, in a sense, um, they have... Um, they have, I mean, she has kind of benefited from this, this publicity and, uh, she's not going anywhere, as you say, you know, so what do you think of the Capitol rampage? I know that that's a building that you had a lot of respect for and you spent a lot I of do. time there. What did you, what did you think of that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess officially retired on January 3rd. So this was three days before that. And I would spend so many, so many of my years walking through that Capitol, always amazed. And even at night when my boss was voting and they'd have late, late votes, seeing that place lit up um, was special. No mm-hmm. matter how many mm-hmm. times you saw it, it was a right. special place. So to see that and to understand it is the people's house, uh, to see that was, uh, you know, you say disappointing, disheartening. It was, it was sickening. Heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah. You know? and, and and just to, and, and to not fully understand what the end goals were mm-hmm. of that and the destruction. And I think, you know, I know a lot of people sometimes always don't care what the sort of international reaction is, but I think a lot of countries do look to the U.S. as a symbol of democracy. And I think that building 
is is yes. representative that and, and it's funny you saying about seeing the building i mean i remember walking up the steps and it never got old i would look up that flag never flying over the dome and say god i am so lucky to be working in this building you know and uh yeah. it just never got old and 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 as you probably have done you know i've walked in there when nobody was there and you're under the dome and you're the only one there and you're thinking gosh this is just uh, this is just great so um do you think the rampage backfired on trump and his followers well i think from a, a political standpoint you know, if, if we do these things, obviously it didn't um, impact his election right. uh, because this was all after. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that there is uh, – yeah, there was definitely an impact on his brand. I think the way he handled it uh, was lacking in leadership. Um, and the fact that, as we know, we're seeing more and more details come out about the delays and the lack of response. Right. Yeah, that, that, it all can only hurt him. Um, yeah. But I think he's still always going to have this core loyal following. Mm-hmm. Um, and going forward, I think he understands that. Um, yeah. You know, somebody once said to me, I shouldn't say said to me, but pointed out, and I think this is pretty accurate, that we may have had Trump wrong for the longest time, but that people really viewed him as a great businessman and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of an amateur politician. Mm-hmm. And really, I think they got that wrong with somebody saying he's not that great a businessman, but he's a phenomenal politician. Mm-hmm. And I think he has these gifts of tapping into certain things and being able to sustain and um, lead. What I say right now is a group of disaffected people. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he taps into that. You know, he's that, tapping into it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was there was that whole sex, section of the economy that felt that they were left out. They were looking for right. someone. They were upset. With why, and he tapped into that smartly. Um, but it's interesting too. Like since he's been gone, you know, he had the CPAC uh, speech in Orlando, but his voice seems to be fading now. I mean, as as you know, Biden gets into his stride and everything. Is that voice going to fade? I mean, he's always going to be there. He's always going to have that seventy-two million that he'll be able to to do. You know, have him do what he wants. And do you see him, his voice fading at all? I assume so. I mean, I think like everything that, you know, we're dealing with now, the attention span of most people uh, is always diminishing (laughs) by the minute. Um, There's just so much going on. And I think, you know, losing, you know, when you're the most powerful man in the world, losing that podium, losing that voice, uh, as time goes on, yeah, it's going to naturally recede. Yeah. So, How he decides to interject his voice and utilize his voice going forward is going to be really important for him. But yeah, I, I just assume as time goes on, you know, uh, memories fade and you're going to have people now jockeying for 2024 yeah. uh, already. And yeah. I think they're going to be trying to position themselves. And um, yeah, well, it, it's it's to be seen. But I think, yeah, as each month goes, I think we'll see a little bit lesser of the Trump influence. You see anybody taking that mantle? Anybody? Um, yeah, even in the well, I think or... some of them, I think they're trying to tap into that Trump element. Yeah. Um, but the question is always going to be in a few years, we'll see how the midterms go. You know, right. is Biden going to still be popular? Right. Um, and, and where where is Biden going to be lacking in votes? Uh, what are his weak points and can somebody take advantage of that? And I think for now, it's a little too hard to to tell that, um, even though I think right now the people who are trying to emerge and, and be front runners are trying to emulate Trump on some level or at least to garner support from the Trump supporters and try to tap in the way that Trump did. And there seems to be a lot of reports and and about uh, voters leaving the Republican Party as a result of that Capitol um, uh, incident. And um, are you seeing any of that at all? Yeah, a bit. Um, I think too. I think it's the definition of what's 
uh, a Republican now because I think there are a lot of people who are, identify themselves as traditional Republicans, but don't view the current Republican Party as matching with their ideals. And mm-hmm. I think there's a feeling that, you know, that you've heard that phrase, Trump has hijacked the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And that's not really Republicanism, it's Trumpism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that by catering or, you know, placating that Trump element um, to gain Republican votes, that is the wrong way to go. Um, mm-hmm. And it may be just a reality that people have to start assessing. We just have so many different um political interest that the same two-party system isn't going to work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you're seeing, too, with the Democratic Party, a lot more progressive politics. Yes, that and, and that's the AOC faction, right? I mean, she's right. going to be the band leader on that one, without a doubt. So as you're looking forward, um, what do you see happening in the House, and what would you like to see? Oh, I'd love for a little more bipartisanship. I'd love for people to come together a little bit more and not take things so personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back in the day, at least when I started, I felt like, you know, you could disagree over policy, but still have a beer with somebody at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now we're seeing a little bit more of the not so much what are you for? It's just letting people know what you're against. against. Yeah, sure. And like you was talking about, you know, elevating people to demonize. And I think right now it, there's a little less of that. Um, and I think people misunderstand when we talk about the different branches of government. The legislature, you know, is about compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be at the end of the day, if you got 70 percent, 60 percent of what you wanted, that was a good day. <laughs> um, right. And now it's now it's 100 percent or yes, nothing. Yes. And, yes, and some people nothing. prefer yeah. standing on the sidelines saying I'm not going to participate because I'm not getting that. And I think that's where, you know, we have all this talk about constitution. and cons- I, I just wish people would understand, yeah, we have different branches of government, but the legislature is about, unfortunately, it's just about compromising. It's coming, coming together, uh, yeah. finding things that are going to work and help each other. But I, right now we don't see that. But hopefully uh, as time goes on, and I, and I was hoping with COVID, you know, again, finding things that unify us, we could come together a little bit. But Maybe with earmarks possibly coming back, it's going mm-hmm. to be slow and steady mm-hmm. and finding ways to work together. And, and that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess you were around when C-SPAN came in and started really. Oh, yeah. And that changed that changed everything, didn't it? Yeah. And I think I think you're right. You know, people got to see how Congress worked. But, you know, just applying on that, what I think really changed a lot. And, and this isn't a, a general media swipe. But it's more about the television media is, you know, back when I started. Crossfire, Hardball, mm-hmm. those types of shows were really starting to um, develop. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, what you had started started to see is that the idea of when we talk about Shades of Grey, I remember many producers and bookers trying to get uh, my boss on you know, Crossfire, something they would ask you, where does your boss stand on an issue? And if you indicated any sort of hesitancy on one point or that mm-hmm. um, he shares a view mm-hmm. with the other side, mm-hmm. they would respectfully tell you, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take a pass tonight <laughs> because yeah. they, we got to wash wanted, our hair. <laughs> yeah, they, right. they uh-huh. wanted somebody who was going to be all in and right. they wanted that confrontation. Cause again, right. that goes to, to viewing uh, viewer ratings. And, and I think that that kind of was another thing that's changed over the last 20 years is the rise of that type of television um, and what people are exposed to it, it isn't coming together. It's always fighting. And mm-hmm. I think people are now becoming, you know, how they get their news, 
what they watch, what they listen mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. Um, you know, they become in these little mini bubbles. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. everybody they talk to who watches the same thing agrees with them. So everybody they talk to feels right. the same way. Right. It's an and, echo. It's an echo. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what you see a lot more on. And so, you know, like you said, with C-SPAN, I think C-SPAN always tried to be nonpartisan. Um, and, and they were, but they at least showed you how the house operated. But I think now with TV and the different channels having their different audiences, um, it's really focusing on what divides us, not really what unites us. And I think that's that's just a reality and something that I don't know how you put that back in the bottle. No, and I don't, I don't think you do. And, and it's almost the same as you were saying in, in the legislature. You've got these two factions, neither one willing to give. It's me, it's you, it's all or nothing. Um, in terms of the Democrats taking over, uh, getting, you know, retaining the House, um, a lot of people say, oh, it's great. But they've really got a slim margin there. I think, yep. uh, you know, Very much um, so. I think the um, COVID vote was clear. It was party line and it was 219 mm-hmm. which and i think they need 218 right so um one person goes out of step and and um they're in trouble so does that give everybody a lot more power a lot more negotiating power with pelosi and the leaders to say hey you don't give us what we want we don't back it right and and i think now like larry was saying you know with social media there's so many ways and because there's so many reporters um at the capitol now there are so many outlets for some of these members to express what they have concerns about, right. what they'd like change. So in some ways, it's a way of communicating to your party leadership where they're at and where mm-hmm. you're at. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that goes to what we were talking about with Speaker Pelosi. She's got an enormous job of trying to keep all these factions aligned. And it is. It's a tough job. But I, I don't underestimate her. Uh, she can find a way to to bridge these parties, uh, bridge her party, and keep all these factions together. That's great. Tell me a little bit about Ambrose Partners. Your new, uh, your new, oh, uh, uh, you know, new gig. Yeah. So uh, after I uh, finished my career on the Hill, a uh, good friend of mine who also worked on the Hill and has done a number of things with private and small companies, we were just talking, and we really felt like government relations strategy doesn't have to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of um, large lobbying shops that exist in DC trying to help out companies, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. and really we wanted to try to help out NGOs, nonprofits, mm-hmm. small businesses mm-hmm. to show them um, how policy on the federal level, especially in Congress, the federal agencies can impact their business and their interests mm-hmm. and helping them have a voice um, to just to decision makers, giving them opportunities, letting them know about how legislation they may not be tracking or aware of could adversely impact them. Um, so what we're really trying to do is provide insight uh, for a lot of folks about what goes on in D.C. What what are they thinking, making sense of those policies and, and also letting people know, you know, what's just noise? Yes. You don't have to worry about that because yes. we're being realistic. It's and there's a lot of the noise. Sky. <laughs> there's a lot of right. noise right now. And <laughs> that's just it. So people know their businesses. They understand that. Um, you know, I feel like we've understand DC right. and we're just trying to help them navigate this place and, and, and improve that. And like I said, we're trying to focus on the smaller companies, the small businesses, the nonprofits, the NGOs, uh, people who don't necessarily always have a voice. Um, or feel like, you know what, if, if we can be of service to them and help them out, that's what we're about. So, uh, 
Well, I appreciate a, that. Yeah, that's a very noble mission, and I would expect nothing less from you. Um, I want oh, to I congratulate it. you on your finalists in the Congressional Management Foundation Lifetime Achievement oh, Award. And, and it was great because that award was defined as going to people who had long respected careers in Congress. And I'm really hard-pressed uh, to think of anybody I worked with who was more efficient. You always returned calls, even on Sunday mornings. You always got us <laughs> to your boss. And uh, you you have been uh, a, a I learned that from Pete. Yes, 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 that's right. I did. No, that's he taught it. me a lot. Oh, yeah, so we, we, we really appreciate you coming on, and we'll, we'll have you back when the house dusts up. Definitely. Always happy to do that, and, and likewise, wish you the best, Jerry. All right. Thank great. you, Kevin. Take care. All right. Be well. Take All care. Right. All right. We're going to bring in our technical producer, Brad Maybe the Wizard of Pods. How are you, Brad? I am excellent. How are you, Jerry? All righty. So where we were doing something on the House of Representatives, and Kevin was interesting. I mean, he's he's got so many, so many years there. And one thing that was interesting that he said uh, about Pelosi, and a lot of people don't know, that she grew up in Baltimore. She grew up in Little Italy. And uh, I was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun for a few years. And um, her father was the mayor of Baltimore. He was Big Tommy. Um, I don't remember that. Uh, yeah, Big Tommy and his, her, 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 his, her brother was Little Tommy. <laughs> and um, he was the, he had the misfortune of being the mayor uh, during the 68 riots. And um, he only served one term. I think he just got fed up with it all. But her father was, um, he was really, um, you know, kind of one of those big city mayors back like, you know, Koch and Rizzo and those kind of things. Oh, and yeah, yeah, The classic yeah. story was <laughs> there was a reporter um, from The Sun who was dogging him, and he wasn't returning his calls, and he was ducking him. And so finally, you know, the editors, we called them the city desk because they were in charge, and they sent the reporter over, and they said he's having a public press conference today. Um, his his last name was D'Alessandro. That was it. That was her maiden name, D'Alessandro. She grew up in Little Italy. So they sent a reporter over, and they say he's got to answer your questions, you know, at a public press conference and so the reporter goes over there and it's in the mayor's office and the mayor's sitting behind his desk big tommy and the reporter says mr mayor my city desk says you have to answer my questions and big tommy puts his hands up lays his ear to his desk stands up and says well my desk tells your desk to go f itself <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the kind of uh rough politics she grew up watching you know you know it's it's funny because that to me, uh, you know, I'm old enough to think, ah, the good old. Days. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that was still the norm up until somewhere in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And mm. then uh, you kind of saw the death of that kind of talk, at least at a local level. I mean, the Buffalo had a mayor, Jimmy Griffin, you know, the the uh, ill-tempered Irishman. So, oh, yeah. And, and, and like and that Schaefer and Koch and Rizzo. Rizzo was a force. I mean, good or bad, you know, I mean, it depended. You know, you either hated them or you loved them. And I think most of those guys uh, um, were like that. But Pelosi's been really interesting in the sense that she's not afraid of the media. I remember working for the New York Post and, you know, walking up to her one day to talk about Charlie Rangel who she had to uh, basically, um, you know, take to the woodshed on the floor because of some ethic violations. And, um, you know, I was kind of dogging her and she's, you know, finally she just steps in the hallway and we talk and she just was, you know, very frank and, and uh, gave me the time and, and very accessible. And she has these press conferences every Thursday and she just stands there and, you know, 
know, takes the takes the questions as they come. So, um, very interesting. Later, what do you think of AOC? Oh my God, I'm 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 in love with AOC. Um, and and that's exactly what we need in government. Not it doesn't have to be. You know, she's a bit on the left side. We just need young blood. Yes. We need we need some people with some fresh ideas and that aren't, you know, from a different time. You talk about Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is 80 years yes. old. Yes, she Does she is. plan on being the speaker of in the house of heaven? I mean, is she just going to just move the where does she what is her plan? What's her That's tenure, great. What, Nance, what's your yeah. 10 year <laughs> plan? You know what I yes. mean? Go go enjoy the the golden years. Right. Nancy Pelosi was elected to office in 1987. Wow. Let me just to put that in perspective. I graduated from high school in 1989, and my 30th anniversary or reunion was two years ago. <laughs> well, it is it's, interesting, and I I mentioned you know uh, Leslie Stahl coming over and giving her a hard time, saying you know you got you and you got Clyburn and you got Hoyer and all those people near their 80s and she's saying why don't you have fresh blood and i think they're just afraid to to release the hold you know they they feel like hey we've got a hold we know what we're doing and and we're not going to release it but yeah that's uh, and that's that's a that's a problem mm -hmm. because that that's not how our government was meant to be set up I, i believe you know men and women should answer the call come to washington serve your country eight 12 years maybe 16 and then and then go seek your fortune when 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 someone's staying around like you know Nancy Mitch 30 40 years what's what's their end game ultimately they're not there to serve the country anymore they're there to serve themselves and with that comes the baggage of having to serve other interests Yes, yes, yes. And, um, you know, AOC was interesting when she came in. I mean, she came in with a with a force and um, she was not shy uh, about, you know, speaking her mind and also speaking about the leadership and, and where it's going. And, uh, you know, when you come in as a freshman, you're supposed to sit down and shut up and watch and learn how it goes. And I think Pelosi finally brought her in and kind of said, hey, look, you knew you uh you you take care of this and and you just watch and that kind of thing so i think she is someone who um who will um you know eventually take over and i think once she learns the system i, I mean kevin said she was thinking about um challenging uh, Ch- uh chuck schumer i was just like i don't know about that one i mean schumer is just so powerful in new york and yeah, i think Jeff chuck's well, another one yes. come on come on yes. chuck hang yes. it Hang it up, but then yeah, but I see what you, the argument you're saying is like, it, well, if 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 not them, who and and then they'll think they'll give up the seat to the GOP, and 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 you know, right now the game the GOP is playing is so convoluted, and and the whole GOP game of like, don't believe your lying eyes and ears, right? It's just too much, man. You know, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be more conservative. Right. I, there was a time in the '80s when true conservatism. Wasn't awful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it was. It was. A, it was a viable choice. I. I actually registered Republican when I became eligible to vote at eighteen. Oh, I, I, I voted for Reagan twice. I mean, yeah, I that, that's. That, I mean, that's just it. I grew up in the in the Reagan. I loved Ronnie Reagan and his jelly yeah. beans and well, and, I mean, and mommy I, and yeah, him in the yeah, White House. It was yeah, good times. I, I think the country just needed him. And um, when you look back at some of the things he did, um, I. 
I know I kind of regret some of those things, but, you know, at the time, the Carter presidency was just out of control in the sense that it just was inept. It couldn't get anything done. We had these hostages, you know, captured for 400 days. Oh, yeah. And the, the craziest thing was like, you know, as soon as, you know, Reagan got inaugurated, I think the hour before they let the hostages go because they knew old Ronnie was coming over with some rockets. <laughs> you guys, yes. I, I yes. remember and, that, uh, yes. But, you know, Kevin mentioned interesting too. I think too about the relationship between Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan and um, how, and I think it was a McCain thing and Kevin mentioned too, how you could disagree and not be disagreeable. And I think that's missing um, right now. And uh, maybe because no one has really grabbed that Republican mantle. I think the last person who really had some control was John Boehner. And uh, I think he was losing control, which was, I think, one of the reasons he got out. Um, so there isn't anyone there that can can be that person you sit down and say, hey, get your get your group in line. Here's what we're going to agree to. And, you know, we, we even mentioned that, that, you know, seeing this push and pull over the commission to look into the Capitol Hill you know, rebellion, rampage, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they can't even agree on mm -hmm. that. You know, that's just sad. It's unbelievable to say this, that, that Donald Trump had yes. taken the, yes. the Republican. Yes. That is such a weird yes. concept. I, I'll never accept that as long as I live. So Trump had the Republican mantle. And I thought for a while, like in the middle of his presidency uh, or throughout most of it, that he was going to taint the Republican Party right. so much that when he left, they would be in a tailspin. But it's almost like now they're a, a vicious cat mm -hmm. backed up against the wall. They're not floundering. They're, yeah. they're lashing yeah. and out. I, you know, I, it's interesting. And again, the, you know, the Democrats rejoicing over having the Senate and the, and the House. But, um, you know, I don't think what most people realize is, you know, Republican filibuster in the Senate is going to tie them up. And, and Pelosi's got one extra vote in the House. And, you know, if a group like Congressional Black Caucus or even AOC's uh, progressive liberals, whatever you want to call them, decide, hey, we're not joining. It's it's squad. Just, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be a mess. So interesting to see it's like sports you know it's like uh, you, you sit up there and you watch and you see you know the, the jostling and, and it's just uh, uh is as messy as it is it's also uh, kind of fascinating to watch what i think is is the most remarkable fact and it, and this seems to be a fact and it's it's evident in the house and the senate and and and, and in the entire country we are literally divided yes. right yes. down the middle yes I mean, yep. it is a razor thin line. It is half yeah, versus it, half. Yeah. There is no there is no outline majority. If if it was if if they were in a complete majority, then it would be like, all right, well then I must be absolutely wrong. Or if we were in the absolute majority, I would think, well, may, you know, are we right? It makes me think of the Civil War, you know, and, and, and the two sides. And it was interesting. A friend of mine, he's a, he's into shooting ranges and guns. And he was saying when he went to get a gun um, the last time, um, the store had said they had 900 prior to the election. And by the time the election was done, they were all sold and people were buying AK-47s and they were buying all these things because they were thinking, hey, this may erupt and we're going to be ready, which is just nuts. I mean, it's just, it's sad. And, um, but that's the way it is right now. Mm-hmm. 
that's the way it is well thank you buddy always great chatting with you and uh listening to your thoughts and um you know we'll be uh <laughs> they're more like r- rantings and yes rants. well that's that's politics right all right i'd like to thank our announcer dave our executive producer mike gugat our technical producer brad maybe the wizard of pods and our contributing voice talent john one take terzis the voiceover tampa bay gang Please buy the new book by our friend Angie Dobransky in Washington, C.C. Comes out today called Life Lessons in Success. 36 True Life Stories from Writers uh, Sharing Their Successes in Life. Available on Amazon today. Special shout outs to listeners Peter Costas in Nevada. Nicola Nikolic. Um, she was a campaign staffer for Republican Governor Rick Perry. John Bruni of the LinkedIn Newspaper Professional Network. Join us next week for another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a good week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.